1: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: The The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, we bring you an interview with an enormous football fan. He's a stand up comedian, satirist, radio and TV host, and a Nottingham Forest supporter. Yep, it's Matt Ford. Matt is the host of an excellent podcast of his own called The Political Party, but we're steering well clear of that ground today and focusing instead on the things that really matter, like Andrea Salenzi. Let's not waste any more time and head straight for the audio recording facility and my chat with Matt so welcome Matt Ford man of many talents uh, what, what do you tell people Matt when, pe- when, when you're at a party you meet a stranger and they say what do you do for a living what's your answer oh I don't like telling people I'm a comedian that's a terrible thing to tell people because they immediately say tell us a joke right? they immediately
1: say tell us a joke and it obviously means if they're asking they don't know that you're a comedian <laughs> so it's that awful thing of and it's not an ego thing because I don't you know I fully expect most people to not know who I am and rightly so but it's that awful thing of then they go, oh, but have you been on telly? And you have to go, yeah. <laughs> well, what have you been on? And you, then you have to then tell your CV. You know, I don't like telling. I'm not a show off, so like it just feels weird to go. Well, I've been on this, that, and the other. All oh, right, I just don't remember. You. Yeah, I know that. That's why you're asking me. You know, it's, it, it ends. You end up becoming shamed.
0: You could have a QR code linking to your IMDb, maybe. That's a great idea. I could have it tattooed on my face, (laughs) and then they could just swipe. (laughs) But, um, yes, and then there is the pressure of being, you know, expected to then be immediately funny. Immediately, um, uh, increasingly familiar voice, though, on the radio, on your podcast. Have you ever been recognised anywhere because of your voice? Oh, in taxis. Black taxis. So when
1: I first... I used to do the overnight show on TalkSport for years, and still to this day... Black cabbies in London are the are the people that I get recognised by the most. Where I'd get in and go, oh, "Can I go to Surbiton, please?" They go, "You're that Forest geezer, ain't not you?" Oh, talk some <laughs> rubbish, mate. But that was yeah. Ta- taxi drivers are the main ones. So yeah. why Nottingham Forest? Uh, well, I'm from Nottingham. I'll do it. So that was the main reason. My family supported Forest, so that was my granddad. Um, my mum was a Forest supporter in the sense that she came from a Forest family and she used to go as a kid with her dad. But it was uh, my granddad, my mum a bit, and my, my my granddad's brother. That was the the main reason.
0: Was there any reason that you didn't go for Notts County? I mean, to be honest, when you get into football
1: that young, so I remember football being... A, and obviously, growing up in Nottingham at that time, Forrest were going to Wembley every summer. So I was born in 1982. So the, the years I'm getting into football at a six, seven, eight-year-old were 89, 90. So Forrest won... You know, 1989, won the League Cup and the Simod Cup. In 1990, was Italia 90 we won the League Cup and in 1991 we're in the FA Cup final so it was a, it was all kind of happening and there were Forest players playing for England you know Stuart Pearce at the World Cup Des Walker so it was just yeah, Notts County didn't even I, I probably didn't even know they existed at that point that's going to drive County fans mad point, weren't
0: they at one point uh, around early 90s
1: yes they were so Tommy Johnson Steve Cherry they had a great side first active Neil Warnock that's right yeah yeah Allardyce managed them they've had some big names uh, and they were great at the time um, but at that time, it was just all about Forest for me. And as a kid, obviously, when you're first getting into football, you don't really know what a league is. Initially, you haven't got a clue. But Forest just felt like a big deal.
0: Did you go to any of
1: those Wembley finals? I was too young for those. So it's a real shame that I think in 1991, my mum was going to let me go, but was really worried about me going to Wembley with my grandma, just being a kid at Wembley. And I just i still never fully forgiven enough for that. <laughs> and then in 1992, we got to the League Cup final and lost to Man United but beat Southampton 3-2 in the ZDS Cup final. And there was talk of me going with that and one of our neighbours offered me
0: a lift and then took his cousin instead. Uh, that still hurts. And presumably you were young enough that being in the Zenith Data Systems Cup final felt like a big deal. You it played playing like at Wembley, of course. Win. Of course it's a Wembley final. <laughs> and this was, this was before the League Cup got devalued, even you
1: know before the FA Cup got devalued. So it was any Wembley final was a big deal. But sadly, I've never watched Forrest play at Wembley, only, you, on, only on telly.
0: What are your memories of those finals, especially the 91 final? That, that stuck out for me as a kid as one of the oh, first things I can remember. Yeah, the, the, I, still, I remember
1: I bought it on DVD about 15 years ago. Why
0: Why do that to yourself?
1: Because it kind of still feels like a big achievement. I I, I suppose, given what's happened since, it still feels like a huge achievement. And there's still part of me, and I used to do this with um, Southgate's penalty and with Gascoigne's miss in 96, was I would watch it back, almost in the hope that it was going to be different, that it it would somehow find its way in. People relive
0: trauma, don't they?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, um, Stuart Peer scored in an FA Cup final. I love that free kick. Cluffy was in charge. I have a lot of great memories about that final, but Gascoigne should have been sent off. There's no question about it. It's a real... It's a, a, and he was behaving like a thug. He'd already hurt Gary. He kicked Gary Parker in the chest, didn't get yellow carded. Crops Gary Crosby. Doesn't even get a yellow. It's, the, it's really dreadful refereeing. Because he awards the free kick, so he knows... It's it's really shocking. Outrageous. And it was deferential to Spurs. It was deferential to Gascoigne. A Forest player would have been sent off for that, no question. <laughs> no question at all in my mind that there was a sense that and I've never liked Spurs since.
0: Dear I still me. can't
1: get I always just thought, oh, they're a horrible club. <laughs> Even oh, though
0: I know them not yeah, to be. They're lovely. Les Spurs are a great bunch. How yeah. um how's this season gone for Forest?
1: Oh, it's been awful because we've not been in the Premier League for twenty years. It's so long. Are you
0: bothered? I'm massively bothered <laughs> it, I, it, I have it's terrible being in the Premier League no being it's a, not being a promoted team from the Championship especially when you're not ready it's grim Like you, the, the novelty of it being on Match of the Day is brilliant it's some new away grounds you've never had the chance to go to. It's fun that you're playing teams you've heard of. But then you just, it's just brutal. It's so hard. It's so punitive. It's
1: not so much being in the Premier League, it's just the joy of promotion. I want of to call again. Of it's course. It's that, it's getting out of there. And it's been so long for Forests, And for a long time, there was no real hope other than just the silly hope that football fans have that, oh, it might be different this season. But this season, there has been genuine hope because we've got great owners. They've put a lot of money in. We've got
0: a the side's not fully there yet, but it's a good side. You've got a lot of players I've heard of. Which, yes, that helps. Which I, I think that's often quite a bad thing in the Championship. <laughs> if you look at the player, look at the teams that have come up, it's sort of very well-managed groups of well-scouted oh, players. So you've got you know, interesting point. Ben Watson, Pantilla mm. Morning Goal, uh, even someone like Lewis Grabben. They've they've been around the block. Yes. That would worry me. See, that uh, it worries me now that you've put it like <laughs> that. I mean, it, it does,
1: I still worry as a fan because obviously we haven't gone up this season. It felt... Like, the opportunity was kind of... We, 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 I think we all know we're not fully there yet. But it felt like, potentially, we could have done it this year. And that that, that hurts a little bit. What's your current
0: level of Nottingham Forest consumption? <laughs> <laughs> the that makes it sound like a disease. <laughs> <laughs> it's like units of alcohol. So because Please I... Please be honest.
1: Yeah, so I... The, the real problem for me has been... I started doing rock and roll football on Absolute Radio, which means I'm on uh, every Saturday at three o'clock um and before that I was doing talk sport every saturday so it was really it, it's been really it's been a real struggle for me to get to games but even with that I've managed to go to six games this season uh, most of them away games um so I consume it I follow it obviously deeply and in a very detailed way but for me a fan is someone who actually goes to games and you know I was a season ticket holder for ages when I was in nottingham and I still feel that if you're not going to games all the time you're not a real fan so I sort of judge myself a bit. I think, well, I'm not really a proper fan anymore because I only go to, you know, if I can,
0: ten, but this season only six. How does your relationship with Forrest and following them change when you're there and when you're not? Because I've always gone to QPR. I've been going since I was six. And I find watching us on TV so much more stressful than being there in person because yes. I feel like you can almost affect it when you're there in person, and also you see that it's all a bit silly, really, isn't it? When, when you're there in person, it somehow seems less exciting and less important than when, when you're seeing it on the telly.
1: It's also when they're on telly it's the shame that everyone else is watching,
0: <laughs> particularly in the championship. There's not that many people watching the championship. <laughs> no, but
1: you know, but still, but still, if I go to you know, Forest player whoever... And you see it, and that happens, and you get beat. Then it's just a private thing between you and Forest. <laughs> when it's on telly. Everyone's texting you about it, going bloody hell. And that really annoys me. I went to, uh, I can't remember what game it was. So I was at one well, that was on telly, and people were texting me joining it. It just adds to the frustration of it. But, but you know, if I can't get to games, then then having it on telly is a is a blessing, really.
0: I've got two f- questions about Nottingham Forest's name. Why is calling Nottingham Forest Knots Forest so insulting to Forest fans? Because not only is it grammatically incorrect, it's factually
1: incorrect. So, Notts County is an abbreviation of Nottinghamshire County. Nottingham right, is the right. city. Therefore, an abbrevi- Notts is only ever an abbreviation of the Nottinghamshire and not of Nottingham. So, Nottingham Forest is the club for the city. I
0: see, and therefore could not be abbreviated to Not. Well clarified. My second question is: Has anyone ever called Forest the Tricky Trees with a straight face? Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, they must have. I
1: love the Tricky Trees as a nickname. <laughs> it sounds a bit weird, but it gets, you know. It's people... not that scary, is it? It's like the chairboys for Wickham. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the problem is we, we are, and it, we often use that on branding now, we are the original Reds. So okay. we were the Reds. We existed before Liverpool United and all the other teams that get called the Reds. But because other bigger, you know, clubs that have gone on to be bigger than us call themselves the Reds, it feels kind of like that gets used by other people. So at least with the Tricky Trees, which does sound like a, you know, cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a kind of... Um,
0: so it's, it's an ITV kids' show cancelled halfway through its first series. Yes,
1: it? yes. With, set up with a very noble intent of making children love the environment. <laughs>
0: it's the A kind of, of gang of, yeah, a motley
1: crew of trees somewhere <laughs> in Sherwood Forest. But um, I quite like the silliness around it. Can you remember the good.
0: first game you watched of Forest, whether there or on TV? The first game I went to was Forest Sunderland. We beat them 2
1: 0. I stood in the old cop, and uh, Steve Chetland and Nigel Kloss scored. And to this day, it's one of the most. I think. How old were you? I-, I was seven, I think. I was really scared to stand because of Hillsborough. And I remember thinking, oh my God. I, f- I kind of. I would far rather have sat. Before I got there. And then when you get there, you realise the bit we were standing in, there was plenty of space. And actually, it's just far more. To this day, I would always rather stand at a football match. Oh.
0: Was that your. Did you begin by standing most of the time when you went there? Yeah, yeah,
1: we would always stand. And I had a season to kick the old Trent End.
0: Which so that, is that opposite the. Is that the one by the river? Yes, of yeah, course. The, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of course. Of <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I,
1: <laughs> I don't think. Firstly, I know, I know people that call themselves football fans that have never been to a football match. And I just think that is not what a fan is. And I think modern football culture in the sense of the establishment, Sky tell you that being a football fan is watching it at home, and it's not. Being a football fan is going to games. So I just think you're depriving yourself of such a sensory experience going to a football match. It's not just about watching the game, it is the smells, the, the culture, the noise and everything. And as a kid, I mean, the thing that still strikes me about going to that first game is you never see that amount of people in one place ever really unless you go to nebworth or or glastonbury um where else do you get together with that amount of people even in second third division football as a kid when are you ever going to be around five six seven let alone 20 30, people and they're swearing and they're men and they're drunk and all that it's but, a it's a it, you barely watch the game when you first go you're just so distracted by the size of the place and the noises and it all I, so, I love football not just for the game, but I love football mainly for football culture, for all the things that go around the edge of it. And I just think you really miss out if you don't go. And always take a kid. You have to take children's football matches.
0: Were you over the nerves as soon as you got there? Then
1: yeah, I was just like, <laughs> this is incredible. I just didn't expect it to be like that. And that's that is still what I love about it. Is is obviously you great friendship that goes along with it, but just the the noise and the size and the, the smell of the grass. And the pies and the piss and it all, it's
0: just, <laughs> it's great. Who did you go with when you started going?
1: I went with my granddad's brother, who we called Uncle Joe, but he was my great-uncle, very old. Um, so I would go with him and then I'd sit. my first season ticket was with my granddad. And that was something, actually, that for all the ills of football at the time and for football culture with hooliganism and racism and all that stuff, that sadly seems to be coming back... I always thought it was one of the few places where people really respected their elders. Hmm. I remember sitting in the A block with my granddad, and the A block was like the mad bit. I remember my mum saying to me, "You're going to hear stuff, and it, you will hear stuff at football. But I do know you don't repeat it, and you shouldn't expect to hear it anywhere else."
0: But again, being a kid. Hearing swear words, oh, hearing, and not really? only swear words, but, but grown men shouting swear words. Oh yeah, it's a, fantastic. Real probably.
1: anger, and, and, and just football was wittier then because people were stood up, so the adrenaline was different. The characters who went to football were different then. But the thing I really remember is we sat in the A block, which was just bedlam. That was where all the all the you know hard cases and and, and that was the that was the engine room of the stadium for a long time. The Trent end and the A block. And uh, what I remember, you know, people would hurl awful abuse. And then when we would come in with my granddad. People would sort of stop and go. Mind your language, mate. An old bloke here, and people would help him up and all that. Do you mind getting out, mate? You're all right. Big lads with tattoos, England flags tattooed on their necks, stuff like that. Sorry, mate. Sorry for swearing in front of you. You know. <laughs> and it was like a real, it was like a Shane Meadows film. You know, sort of <laughs> people's values from all over the place. You know, even these hardened, <laughs> probably very aggressive
0: men would they still somewhere had a level of respect and. Deference to, to to the elderly. That's curious because it's respect for the elderly, whereas what you'd expect now and what I see around me at QPR is more respect for young people. Yes, very young people. Yeah, that's right. I think that yes,
1: that's interesting. I think maybe with with people like that, I've always tried to think about it. I think it was probably an old, you know, working class uh, deference towards the elderly. Also, I think maybe a respect for the war generation and stuff like that. But it was just—I remember thinking, even as a kid, it slightly confused me. But I've, even though some of the stuff you did was awful, I always felt quite warm towards
0: <laughs> these lunatics. Do you think you would have felt differently if you were a young girl going to the matches with her granddad? Would that have been scarier? I think so. At yeah. that time? I think it probably would have been. Yeah, I think
1: it would. I mean, I still—I mean, I remember the racism at football used to be awful. Uh,
0: and what, obviously, what era st- you're talking here. Just when? What year was that first game? Early '90s. So early '90s. Right.
1: And it was like widespread. That was what I mean. Now, I don't know. You know, I, I haven't heard anyone shout anything racist to us for a long time. Did you have any footballing career yourself? To oh off? no, I was. Trying, I wanted so much to be good. I was desperate to be good. I was I was the captain of my primary school football team. That's, b- that's not bad. That's further than I got. That's not bad. But that was more just because I was a well-behaved boy. <laughs> and I think, you know, <laughs> at that level, everyone saw... You know, if you kick a ball regularly enough, you, you're kind of okay at that
0: level. Yeah. So, I like Gary Mabbott just like nice well-behaved like, yes, put him in charge.
1: well-behaved, yeah. Um, and um, once I got to secondary school, that was then very different. That was a real education into how gifted some players were. And I was in the same form as Jermaine Genus. Oh, wow. And the Beckett School that I went to had a phenomenal football team, uh, some very gifted players, and that was just—I was even then at the age of eleven, I was like, "Oh my word!"
0: What was it like? You presumably saw Gina's play at that age. Was yeah, he yeah. so clearly miles above everyone else? Would he, would he have been the one you picked to be like he's going to go all the way?
1: There was him. There was a couple of others that were good, but then he really started to improve. And obviously, he was—he came through the youth ranks at Forest. So even at year seven level, he was going to Forest regularly. He was in all the under 11s under twelves, and stuff like that, and then. It was surreal because his career was taking off when the rest of us were doing our A level. So he he captained Forest against Wolves in the FA Cup when he was about eighteen. <laughs> captained them. <laughs> and I was ever, I was just thinking, I was so jealous of him.
0: Did you like him when you were at school with it? He was lovely. Oh, that's so he good. A, because he you was... didn't end have a conflict of him playing for your team and not liking no, him. No,
1: of course. He was he was a very rare individual because he wasn't one of the cocky football lads. Right. He was very quiet, he was studious, he was clever. So he was he was um it was a very, I just remember him being a very sweet, polite lad He was exceptional at football. And it was, I remember watching, we watched one of the games in a pub in Nottingham and it was in England, I think it was against Australia, a friendly, and they brought off Beckham and brought on Genus, <laughs> And everyone was just like, oh my God. Just, the pub was just like, almost like, you know, misty eyed. <laughs> it was an amazing thing to see.
0: Best game ever. Oh, what that I was at? Could be. Oh, my God. Go with your instinct.
1: Oddly, I kind of think of... In, I think the England-Holland for... I wasn't at that, but I just think the England-Holland game was... probably one of the best games. England-Scotland game in Euro 96. You watched that in Nottingham? Yeah, I just watched that at home. I was, too, I was about 13 then, so I was too young to be out drinking. Um, I'm trying to think of... I think the best game I was at... Was Forest Borough in the ninety-seven? I think it was ninety-seven, ninety-eight season when we got promoted. We beat them four-nil or four-one at home, and it was just when a team is rampant and the whole stadium is going berserk. The noise of it—I would, yeah—I remember that one vividly. What was the lowest point supporting Forest? The lowest point, obviously going down to League One, was diabolical. I was just, it was just pathetic. Um, but I remember the lowest point I've had in a stadium was when we lost to Doncaster on Boxing Day and Colin Calder was, was the manager. And I hate, you know, when it feels like the rules are being broken or like things are breaking down. And Forrest has never been a, a crisis club, it's never been, it's never turned on its own, you know, and stuff like that. There's never been a kind of rebellion at Forrest. And the people were giving Coldwood abuse. I remember all these people near me chanting, fuck off back to Scotland. And I just thought, oh, this is horrible. This is horrible. The club is breaking down. It felt like the fibres of the club were completely eroding. And we, he, he was well regarded at Forrest Calderwood. He was, he was kind of okay. I don't think there was any he great He for you not he? Very briefly right, towards the end right, of his right, career. Right, right. But he wasn't a he club wasn't legend, a legend like though. Psycho or, or Martin O'Neill. But um, I just don't like it when... You know, he obviously at that point wasn't doing a great job. But I don't like it when people get abused. I really hate it. And I don't like it when it then catches on. And you just think, oh, God. Well, it makes you realise, actually, when you're at a football match like that, how fragile the contract is between the fans and the players because you can easily get on the pitch. If ten, twenty thousand 20,000 people want to go on the pitch, they are getting on the pitch. Stewards are not going to... You know, and you, it always feels like revolutions in the air, and I don't like that. I, I'm yeah. petrified
0: yeah. of violent <laughs> overthrowings. Yeah, we're not very good at that in this country. Um, who was your absolute hero when you were growing up? Because I think there's... there's generally, people have one, don't they? Yes. Like, mine's Les Ferdinand, without question. i oh, that. think about it. Great Stuart Pierce. Yeah, that's a good one. I
1: adored him in every way.
0: And I I think were you, what, were you old enough to appreciate the sadness of his penalty miss in Italian oh yeah, yeah. That had a
1: real effect on
0: me. I bet.
1: Because I mean everyone sort of remembers Waddle from that tournament, I think. And then and, and then Euro 96 kind of brings Pierce back. But he was a tough guy. And watch obviously everyone remembers Gaza crying in Italian like, night, but Pierce cried as well. And like. Gazza was a young lad who was volatile, so it kind of made more sense for him to cry, but Pierce was like. A stoic, hard get. Watching him cry was really odd. Um, but he was just I just loved the way he played football. I loved the fact he was hard as nails. I loved the fact he was a proper leader. And Forrest have never really I mean Forrest have never really recovered from what happened to Brian Clough. And I think also the the atmosphere in the stadium once Pierce left was just never the same. He was like a frontman of a band. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never seen a, a player have such a, an effect on
0: other people as Pierce. And he wouldn't train. How would he do it? Would he be sort of g'ing up the crowd visibly, or was it just how he presented himself? And he like... would physically g' them up. Not that he wouldn't train. He wouldn't warm up with the rest of the team. Right, right, right. So it was like being be in the dressing room listening on. to obscure punks. Over there. He was,
1: yeah, kicking an old football right. around. So then the first time you see this national icon is just before kickoffs. So you've seen all the others. They're like the support acts, and then Pierce. <laughs> Would burst out of the tunnel, run straight over to the Trent end with his arms, screaming his head off, and it was—it was like seeing Liam Gallagher come on or something like that. It was just the effect was incredible, and he would get the crowd going. Was he a good player though, Pierce? He was I- a fantastic footballer. People forget how good he was. A phenomenal attacking. It was great. I mean, he could basically play anywhere. He, would, he scored in nineteen ninety one. He scored sixteen goals, oh. none of them penalties. Wow. He was a, he would score goals regularly. He was brilliant. From free kicks, he was absolutely yep. deadly. Obviously, free kicks and penalties. He was a great footballer. Uh, and he was just the emotion and the passion that he brought. I've never known a player connects with fans in the same way. We've, we've had no one since at Forest that has had that raw, personal, direct
0: relationship with the, with the fans like bit, he did. Bit harsh on Lewis Graben, but anyway. <laughs> um, in that time, in the early to mid-90s, when you were fixtures in the top flight, was mm. there a sense that you were riding high at that point, or did that just feel like this is our natural position because you were still slightly in the afterglow of the Clough miracle about 10 years previously?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's so hard because you're so young at that time. It's only in retrospect <laughs> you realise how lucky you were to see Forrest in the top flight at all, you know, to see, to remember Clough being manager, to, to remember finishing third in the Premier League in 94, 95, get, you know, playing in Europe. I got to see his playing in Europe, so there's that. Um yeah, at the time, it just felt like we were kind of in our rightful place, which wasn't champions, but, a, a, you know, a, a team that would have good cup runs, possibly, I thought I would w- w- see Forrest win silverware. And, uh, more know, than uh, the Zenith Data Systems Cup. More than the Zenith Data Systems Cup, yeah. It was just one of those things where people, I remember after losing the FA Cup final, I was like, oh, I'll be fine, we'll be back at Wembley next year. And they were right, but not in the FA Cup <laughs> final. But, you know, it was, yeah, the norm was that Forrest were, a, you know, top three, top five side who would win trophies. And, you know, that has turned out not to be
0: the case since. Yeah, it did go awry. Obviously, Brian Clough, eventually, it was a, it was a tragic end for him. Mm-hmm. He got Forrest relegated, or was in charge when they were relegated. Yeah. Were people angry with him at that point? I do remember times when people would get frustrated with him, and he'd flick
1: Vs at the crowd or whatever, but it was just sadness. It, was just, it wasn't just sadness for senior team relegated. It was sadness that this icon... This father, really, figure for a
0: lot of us, was clearly unwell. Yeah, visibly diminished. Oh, it was awful! It was so bad. You you tweeted actually, didn't you, a picture of you meeting him as a kid? Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's frightening to look at how he looked. You know, at, even at that point, which was what, like ninety two or so. That was nineteen ninety three. That was one of his. I was a mascot for one of his last ever games. Wow. And his
1: face was just red raw. Mm. But when I show that picture to people, they cannot believe the state of him. And especially given that, in his pomp, he was a handsome man. He was a good-looking, uh, you know, body figure. And he just looked, and he, you know, his, his brain was going at that point, you know, because it was just he was ill. So it was you were watching a, a figure, and not and Brian Club, not just any figure. You know, people would feel that about any manager, I suppose, that had been successful. But he was. We were very aware. That all our success was down to him. That he would he'd taken this provincial second division team and turned them into gods, the world over. Uh, and then it was just a kind of sense that this all, you know, this amazing thing was coming to an end. And so, and he was visibly, physically eroding. So it was just deeply traumatic.
0: What do you think that does to your psyche as a fan, and probably even beyond that? When there's a sense that the best stuff has happened, like because frankly, Forest aren't going to win the European Cup again twice, are they? Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Maybe with like a rebranding and if, you know, the top 20 clubs in Europe were a Super League. We have very ambitious owners, but yes, it's unlikely. It's hard to
1: see at the moment that we might do that. But yeah, that was, it was a kind of, in a way, there's something so dramatic about it ending like that. Not that I like it, but, you know, it would have been great for him to leave on a trophy. That would have been nice. And he, and he won one the summer before. I mean, that's what's mad. Is that relegation season, first season of the Premier League, in the summer of 1992, we're in two Wembley finals and we won one of them. He, what was the problem? He sold Sheringham. Sold Sheringham. Didn't sign Collymore. Ah. Uh, um, Frank Clark then signed him. Mm. But, for, you know, Clough, I think, thought two and a half million was too much. Oh, God, I can't remember the exact figures, but something like that. And obviously, just the chaos that comes from having a manager that is not capable at that point. Mm.
0: So what's been the best? You, you've spoken about that promotion season in um, so that was so was yeah that, we went up in 99 yeah that,
1: that was ninety seven ninety eight I think ninety seven ninety eight was yes. great yeah, um,
0: yeah. What's been the best moment since then? Since relegation in
1: ninety nine. Uh, getting promoted from League One yeah. <laughs> was good. I mean, there was we had a really good season. I think two thousand two two thousand three. Where we almost went up, we lost to Sheffield United in the playoff semi finals, and we had a phenomenal side with David Johnson, Andy Reid, David Prutton, Michael Dawson, Gareth Williams, Ricky Schimaker. We had a really good side and played really good football. Paul Hart was manager, and it was, it was, the football we played was out of this world good. It was bonkers. And I interviewed Paul Hart recently for a Forest podcast that I do. And he said... We talked... You know, he was, he played with a diamond in midfield, which was so exotic. And <laughs> 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 so exciting. And I was like, it was just so entertaining to watch. And he said, we had a style of football that involved putting the ball at risk. And it was just so good. And when you've got the players that can thrive in that system, and, the, and we did. And he got so many... I mean, David Johnson and Marlon Hayward together, I think one season got like 55 or 60 between... Them. It was bonkers. It was really, really good. And sadly after that amazing almost promotion season that squad was then dismantled instead of reinforced and that, that was just a huge missed opportunity Reed, especially was loads of fun wasn't he like Reed, a, a he real was maverick
0: was there like uh, uh, I think fans think oh he's the sort of player we like and often it's that kind of maverick player yeah. that, does that run true through forest history that you love a player like that who's a oh yeah bit he was all very all reminiscent of
1: John Robertson uh-huh. a sort of fat Celt <laughs> <laughs> um, but who was a wizard whose touch he was more intelligent than the players around him he had t- true sporting intelligence he was such a gifted player and his weight didn't I mean maybe his weight held him back when he was playing in the Premier League for Spurs or for, or for Sunderland but Forrest I never felt it held him back and I genuinely believe this when I say it people always think I'm joking he's the best player I saw play for Forrest yes. and he thought I was joking when I told him I think he thought I was winding him up but he
0: really was he is one of the best footballers I've ever seen. How are you measuring that? Is that a sort of he is the most talented or is it about the joy he gave you? Both. He was so technically gifted.
1: His ability to deliver, you know, everyone talks about those Beckham sort of cross-court passes. Reed was exceptional at them. He could just open games up. He petrified the opposition. He, he, he was, He's by far the most exciting footballer I've ever seen play live.
0: Who else have you got in your list of players who other fans of other clubs might be surprised to hear you say they were brilliant, they were a great player? Oh,
1: that is a good question.
0: Because a lot of them are obvious. Collymore
1: was great. Van Hooydonk was great. before you know, He obviously went mad, but he was a great footballer. Um... That's a really good... That's a hard question because I suppose it's about it's what a, other people's so when you support So when you
0: support a team who weren't at the very top and then the players who were brilliant for you almost become punchlines for other people. Like, people really take the mickey out of Andy Sinton playing for England, but he was fantastic. He was a great footballer yeah.
1: and he was good enough you know, to play for England, no yeah. question. Yeah. It's kind of... I suppose You know what's tragic about that people like Sinton who get talked about like that? It's if England had been managed better or whatever at the time, then these people would have... They wouldn't be the punchlines because England
0: would have perhaps achieved something in that era. Yeah, well, it looked like a squad of punchlines potentially going into the last World Cup with England when we when we were trying to build the. We, I was remember trying to do the uh, use our World Cup picker to pick the squad. Yeah. I was thinking this is dire, like we've got no defenders whatsoever. But Dyer was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How was your World Cup twenty eighteen? Loved it.
1: I absolutely, I loved it for so many reasons. Firstly, and more, the most important thing is that England finally played like a team which we hadn't seen for ages, really since the 90s. England played as a proper team. It looked like we'd finally got the benefit of hosting the Premier League, that English players had raised their game, could play really attractive football, had a a knockout striker. Um, Then I suppose it was about the, 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 the side effects of that success, which were that England had a positive national role model in gareth southgate and obviously as individuals in the team but that i've found the last few years quite distressing in the uk politically and socially and particularly as an englishman and to have a really southgate feels like the icon that we need at the moment who is a very hopeful figure very positive and uh, an antidote to a lot of the nastiness around and uh I think a real measure of these things sometimes is how do other people feel, and I think the the England team is one of the things that culturally has impacted England's relationship with the other nations of the United Kingdom, that England have seen arrogant, entitled, out of touch, and they they are things that people then make assumptions about English people about. This time, it was a team that Scottish people, Irish people, and obviously... It really drives me mad when people are expected to get behind England. It's mad to expect a Scottish person to want England to win. Of course, it's ludicrous. It's unfair on them to put that pressure. However, as someone has a Scottish girlfriend, and you know her dad is a Celtic mad Scotsman, I could tell in conversations with him and with other friends that actually, they'd obviously rather England not with the world Cup. <laughs> but it would bother them less. And that, that felt very warm, and it just felt, I felt like a cloud lifted for, for that summer. Uh, and it, I think the effects of it were really profound. And I really hope we can go on and win something, even if it is just the Nations League, just win something. And uh,
0: modern day tournoi,
1: yeah, but that was, I think it's bigger than that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just think it was a real. I think England needed that, and in a way, the UK did. But England
0: really needed something positive. And something you could feel it in the summer, the mood, oh. how people were changing, just the look of people on my train into work. Yeah, it was sort of heads up a little bit, looking a bit brighter. And even uh, people who didn't like football—that's the thing. So you, you know, I remember, a lot of people think football is cretinous, and I disagree
1: with them. Well, I can understand. You, you can know. understand you can people's understand objections
0: it. during a World Cup where it's just inescapable.
1: But what a party we had. What a great party. And and what you know what I really
0: liked about it was. We knew we'd ridden our luck a bit. It was all very knowing. Yeah, that's the like everyone getting people getting angry about footballs coming home being a thing. But it was done very knowingly, I think. Like the people, the people using that as a hashtag. Everyone was in on the joke that we'd we'd been slightly spawny. We'd been spawny. We kind of knew we weren't going to
1: win it. France would have minced us in that Mm. final, you know. But equally, now I think we'd beat Croatia. I think that same team would beat that same team because the way we played against them in the Nations League at Wembley. I just think we were probably too fragile still at that point. The England thing was still as was still knocking around a bit. Whereas now I think we've kind of liberated by it. But what a what a fantastic summer! It just shows the power of football for all its ills. The power of it to make people's lives better for free. You just watch that for free on the telly and just enjoy this amazing national party. What else? There is nothing in my life that has made this country feel like that ever got anywhere near it. It was mass hysteria and it was really funny.
0: Yeah, remarkable. Oh, I loved it. What you're saying about struggling slightly with um, the nation more broadly than Mm. football, some of that has obviously played directly into being an England fan at times if you've ever been to one of those tournaments. Not all England fans are lovely people. There's quite a lot of objectionable things going on, colonising yes. town squares in foreign countries. Showa. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of uh, white plastic chairs being thrown. Uh, have you ever struggled to get behind England for that reason? No. No, because I hate hooliganism and, uh, and all the
1: filth that goes with that. But I, not just hooliganism. Me. Jingoism. Yes, all but, that stuff. I hate it all. And it's just pathetic. And it doesn't reflect the majority of English English fans and never true. has. That's true. Never has. And I just think, you know when people say, and they're right, people say, why can't it be more like the Welsh or the Scottish and have a party? And like, the vast majority of us do. The vast majority of us do behave like that. I went, I've only ever seen England play in a tournament once. I went to, um, in the Euros, I went to Marseille to watch England play Russia when it all went bonkers. A great
0: one to go to. Yeah. <laughs>
1: now, that's a real lesson in being an England fan because we all knew it was kicking off down by the harbour. So if you're sensible, you do not go to where the trouble is. So we totally avoided that part. Yeah, of that's a
0: football fan thing. If you've ever been someone who's been to football regularly, you yeah. understand which bits you swerve, the people you swerve, and just, oh. cross, just cross the road. <laughs> oh, if you, if you go to football regularly enough, you become hyper alert at
1: spotting the first crackle of disobedience totally. when you get away from it. So we just totally avoided it. We were drinking with thousands of England fans near the stadium. And it was absolutely fine. The, the the local bars were hanging up St George's Crosses. They were playing England songs on the stereos to get people in. It was exactly like watching Welsh, Irish or Scottish fans abroad. It was exactly the same. And it was warm. It was pleasant. It was funny. And it was all overshadowed by, by, by what happened. And then inside the stadium, obviously, when the Russians started becoming very violent, that was petrifying. It's a horrible thing to see. But it's, um, yeah, it's never stopped me loving England or, or supporting England. It's just a shame. It's just embarrassing. And then what then happens is, and I, I imagine you're the same, is when you're abroad wearing an England shirt, you go out of your way to be well behaved because you <laughs> want them to be able to say, oh, God, we met these English guys. and They were the nicest people we'd ever met. And what, you know, Because you can feel the tension in the air when you walk into an off-licence yeah. wearing an England shirt in the, you know, the hot afternoon in France. So, you go, oh, you know, try and speak French and, you know, thank you very much and have a lovely day and oh, I really love France. You know, you kind of go out your way <laughs> to, be, to be pleasant because you want them to say, actually, our experience was different.
0: Yeah, good ambassadorial work. Um, England win the World Cup or Forest win the Premier League? What are you having? Oh, Forest win the Premier League. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's odd because I, th- I think I'd go for England because it's more joy for more people. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously selfish. I don't, forest, <laughs> I don't
1: forest either, so not bothered about that. Forest is so much... The thing is, I think I am more of an England fan than most of my mates. And it, even when it went out of fashion, around the golden generation and all that, I've always been mad into England. I, 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 for, for, for it being a national thing and all the rest of it. And I'm, I just think as well, and it's totally coincidental that it kind of aligns with my politics, but it's easy to be down on England as a place, as a country, as a people... But England's a great place. It, of course it has its problems, everywhere it does. And and unless the people who care about it are passionate and and, and stick with it and, and try and form positive national symbols, then we're just surrendering it to not just the, the jingoism and the racism and all the rest of it, but to the stereotype that other people who don't like us would want us to be. So I, I've always not felt a responsibility because I do, I do it out of genuine love of football and of place, but I just think... I'm not going to turn my back on English, where I'm from. I can't choose not to be English. You've just chosen Forrest over them though, Yeah, but I have because I'm from Nottingham as well and that is more important to me. And uh, and seeing Forrest from the Premier League would just be, I don't think I'd ever recover from it. I think it would just be the most the most enjoyable. Oh, man. Oh, God. imagine I mean, just being in the Premier <laughs> it's, it's League. It's
0: gone. It's there. The eyes are closed. I know. I, I mean, I would cry.
1: For, I would cry. But I mean, they're both. Obviously, England winning the World Cup is a very, very close second. I mean either one I would settle for either and I just think I would I would wear out the DVDs
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you've already had your best moment as a football fan in your lifetime or do you think it's still to come I think it's still to come Good I think it's absolutely still to come
1: And I would I would uh, I would also transplant that attitude towards my life in general is that I always think the best things are, are, are And the thing is as well as that who knows what the best thing's going to be? Who knows what the best moment's going to be or when it's going to come? You have to believe, you cannot live your life thinking, well, it's just downhill from here. <laughs> even if even if it turns out to be that way, don't think like that.
0: Tell me about how you watch football. I <laughs> I am terrible at noticing things like how a defensive midfielder is playing. I think I'm quite a basic football watcher. I'm I'm there for the emotion and a, like ideally some pratfalls. Yes. Um, how does that relate to how you watch the game? You are already a more
1: sophisticated than me. <laughs> I, you know, when people say, "I watch it," I just want to see a goal, right? And I don't want to see a goal go in the other end. I'm I, I a basic idiot, <laughs> and I can, ba- you know, I can tell when someone's playing well or if a mistake has happened. But the way some people consume football now is completely—it's on a different level. And obviously, I could read the books about zonal marking if I wanted to. But I don't get particularly turned on by tactic talk. And, uh, I uh, I mean, football fans have always talked rubbish. So I'm uh, I'm usually slightly tipsy. (laughs) And um, just want to see a goal. Just kick it over there. I'm I'm, I'm an idiot. Do you think you'd make a good manager? I'd be dreadful. Why? I think it's really hard. I think the thing I would really struggle with is how do you treat different people differently? How do you allow certain players to do some things and other players not? I think that is such a hard part of management, is the individual side of it, of going, actually, I can't punish him for that because I need him to play. And, you know, I need to give, I need to put an arm around that one and I need to tell that one off. And I just think that would be so hard to
0: do. I suppose that's true of management in any industry, really. Yeah, I isn't think management it? as a skill is really hard in any industry. And I don't envy people who have to do it. So. You're obviously very enthusiastic about football. Very enthusiastic about many other things. Is it all one part of your brain, do you think? Do you think you engage with politics in the same way you engage with football and and that's that's your character, or is football a slightly different thing to that? Does it run deeper? Does it mean something else to you?
1: Oh, That's a really good question. Football definitely means more to me than... (sighs) Ah.
0: You are wearing your Labour Party scarf.
1: Think, <laughs> I'm not, say. I'm not, and I wouldn't <laughs> yeah, anymore. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be allowed to wear My that. word, I wouldn't want to anymore. <laughs> I'm not a member of the Labour Party anymore. So in, in that sense, it's not like football is not unlike anything else because you don't change. You're not a floating football fan. I think it's... Always, you know, there are teams that you have a soft spot for, but that's different. Um, so I think it is different. I mean, as with any pursuit, it, it is a vessel and a vehicle for your personality, for your, for your per, you know, you... I don't behave... Well, I do behave differently at football, but I still value... You know, I don't like players who cheat, just like I don't like people who drop litter. So they're kind of... I don't have different values when it comes to sport. Um, but in the sense that the loyalty is total, unwavering, and will never change, then I suppose it is different to politics. What do you like to watch a game with? What would people sitting Awful. around you report about you afterwards? They'd say I was an idiot. They'd say, <laughs> I'm nervous, so even when we're winning. I mean, the World Cup was a really good example of it. It was joyous and everything, but... I, you know, there's a part of me that really doesn't enjoy it. It's just the nerves, the tension of it is unbearable. The, f- the, the emotional and physical trauma of watching a game of football. So I'm the same with Forrest as well, is that even when we win, it's just a relief that we've won. I go mad when a goal goes in, but at the end of a game, it's just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so I don't really enjoy the victories that much. Mm. Have you ever met Stuart Pearce? Loads of times. I think I've got his <laughs> autograph. But just, I used to get his autograph every Forrest game. <laughs> Did you always go outside and wait? I'd always wait for him oh, main car park. I met him recently. It's the first time I've met him as an adult. I was on uh, the Talk Sport breakfast show as a guest and he was hosting it with Alan Brazil. <laughs> and he was lovely. He was, people say don't meet your heroes, but I don't think any of my heroes have been bad. Oh, They've always been
0: nice. That's marvellous. So you should meet your heroes. Okay, good advice. Last question. What do you like most about football? The day out.
1: I love the whole day. I love getting to the pub really early getting to the pub for eleven for a three o'clock kickoff. Meeting up with all your mates. I mean, what the football comes for me that I, that I really respect are the ones where the fans just really love the day out. And I would say Man City, Leeds, and Newcastle are really good for that. That even when they lose it, maybe it's different for City now, but historically, even when they were losing, they were bouncing around. They're just having a great day out, and that is for me is what football should be about. Is the result hurts, and I am immature in the sense that when Forest lose, I'm annoyed for a few days, and I'm carrying it around. A few days
0: still. Oh, particularly. I mean, if, that's, if, you, if you're in a championship, you're just annoyed the whole time, yeah. aren't you? If you lose three in a row, yeah. that's yeah. two weeks. I'm too
1: emotionally invested in it. <laughs>
0: it's, yeah, particularly if there's been an injustice or something like that. I
1: can't get over it. Dwight Gale at West Brom this year, and he's diving that last minute, which got a penalty and cost us. It, it, even though it was a draw away at West Brom, which you take, it, it, it still annoys me. <laughs> um, but it's for the day out. It's just the whole experience of the the game actually becomes. It's the thing around which the rest of the day is organised. It can quite often ruin the rest of the day. It's just a great excuse to get together with your mates, obviously drink a bit and bounce around and be daft. And there's nothing else in life that allows you to behave like that.
0: Very true. That's your lot for today's episode. We'll be back with you tomorrow as we look ahead to the final day of the Premier League season. If you want to experience Matt Ford's delightful voice in person, he's on tour with his Brexit Through the Gift Shop show. The London date is Saturday the 25th of May at the Bloomsbury Theatre. Tickets are available now. You can contact me on Twitter if you'd like to. It's at Tom with an H, Gibbs. Contact the podcast as well. We love to hear from you. It's Podcast at telegraph.co.uk. We will read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. So close to the end of the season. So much great podcasting still to be done. Look for Audio Football Club somewhere on the internet. Take it from there. Absolutely backing you. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.